So I've become aware recently that my approach to travel can keep me from accessing the good things that Jesus would have for me. In putting together travel, I'm what might be called an obsessive completist. Okay. So we have a son and his wife who recently moved to California. My wife and I went to visit them. We picked the place we were going to go. Within a short time of knowing where we were going to go, I had virtually visited every possible accommodation within a 10-mile radius. I'd looked at the hotels, cabins, vacation rentals. I had plotted them on virtual mapping. I had tried to look into their windows through Google Street View. <laughs> really. I had yelped all the restaurants. I had all trailed all the trails. I didn't want to leave anything to chance. I wanted to know in advance what we were going to do when nothing could go wrong. In spite of being aware that almost every trip I take, there will come a moment. <laughs> I can't script everything. So there will come a moment when we have an experience that we weren't prepared for, that we didn't know was coming, and it'll often be the best. So on this trip, we're traveling around, and we're near the ocean because we're in California, and we hear this day barking. And the barking persists. It's, rawr, rawr, rawr. It just, it's out there somewhere. So we're going to try we're going to track down the barking. We drive into a part of town that was more industrial in the harbor that we wouldn't have gone into otherwise, and we look out, and the people in this town had put out in the harbor these docks at sea level for the harbor seals. And so, and so we come upon it, and it's like magical. There's, there are these docks, and they're just crowded with harbor seals, like 50 to a dock. They're flopping all over each other, they're barking, they're pushing, they're slipping in the water, they're climbing out, they're like teenagers. <clears throat> you know, they're clearly harassing each other, but kind of playfully. It was a highlight of the trip. And it turns out that this unscriptedness, that's just a little portion of my approach to travel, is what Jesus advocates for in spades. So here's... Uh, an instruction of his. This is before the story we'll actually get to, but it sets the stage. An instruction Jesus gives to his, I'm going to call them today, interns. Okay? The Bible word is disciples or apostles, but really they're what we would think of as interns, trainees. It says, Jesus went about among the villages teaching and ministering. He called his interns together and began to send them out two by two to minister as he did. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts. Like, all the essentials of travel, right? Food, clothing, money, none of it. They could strap on their sandals, but were not even to wear two tunics. So what they're going to encounter as they go out into these towns and villages where they're about to minister is they're going to experience stress, but they're also going to come into a kind of interaction with the people who they are serving that they wouldn't have had otherwise. They're going to encounter people who will be good to them, who will be kind to them, on whom they will be dependent. And so there will be a quality of relating, a quality of interaction, kinds of things that will happen for them that wouldn't happen if they were fully prepared, right? They leave the familiar behind, leave what's known, go out unprepared because they anticipate that what God has for them is out there. So we pick up the story a little bit later. Okay, they've gone out, they've actually had a good experience, they come back, and here's what happens. It says, the interns gathered around Jesus, 
and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. What a lovely invitation. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. So in this introduction to our story, the theme is let's go be alone, all by yourselves to a deserted place. They want to reconnect. They've been separated for a while. They want to debrief. Uh, There's also been an event of tragedy somewhere right around this time. The relative of Jesus, John the Baptist, who is a compatriot in ministry, a forerunner of Jesus, one preparing the way on their team, has been arrested by Herod Antipas and tragically and suddenly beheaded. So Jesus and his interns are kind of reeling. So there's reconnection, debriefing, grieving that needs to happen. And then there's this little phrase too, for they had no leisure even to eat. Now, not being able to eat is a sign of trouble in the Bible. One moment, the moment when Jesus' family says, this has gone too far, is when he is ministering in a house. The house is so packed with people, the text tells us that they had not time even to eat. And that's when Jesus' family comes and says, we've got to get you out of here. This is just too much. So here too, Jesus and his interns have no leisure even to eat. So they're going to go, leave behind the familiar, what they know, the comfort of it all, into a deserted place by themselves to reconnect, debrief, grieve, and share a meal. The problem is that all those people coming and going have a different agenda for Jesus and his friends. It says, now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. (laughs) I imagine at the end of this whole thing there is going to be a little conversation with the event planner in Jesus' group, right? Like, why did we take a boat when you could just run around the lake and get there ahead of us? As Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. So it's nice that compassion wins in this case for Jesus, right? Because he's going with his friends, he's tired, he wants to reconnect, grieve, debrief, share a meal, alone, all by ourselves in a deserted place, but what he finds instead is a crowd clamoring for his attention. But instead of being frustrated, exasperated, disappointed, it's compassion. He sees the people, their desperation for whatever it is he has to offer. And these people have followed intuitively the trip planning guidance that Jesus gave his interns. They've left everything behind, gone from the familiar, from their community, their town, their village, out into a deserted place, a form of wilderness, because of the possibility that God might be there. So, lovely, Jesus teaches them many things, which apparently they were satisfied with. They were happy to receive whatever it was that Jesus had to tell them, 
because they stay with it for a while, which begins to cause concern to his interns, right? They've come expecting, you know, a day's retreat at a monastery, but instead they find themselves on stage at Lollapalooza having to manage the event. It says, when it grew late, Jesus' disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place. <laughs> like, we've succeeded in getting to the middle of nowhere. And the hour is now very late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. Now, my guess is this is just a little bit of either concern or distress or peevishness on their part. Because remember, it is a deserted place. Towns and villages, not likely. It's a pretty big crowd of people. So Jesus responds, but Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. <laughs> they said to him, are we to go and buy half a year's wages worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves have you? Go and see. When they had found out, they said five and two fish. <laughs> Now, I just have a lot of questions about this number, this amount of food, right? We find out that there are probably between 15 and 20,000 people in this crowd. So however much they have eaten of whatever it was they scrabbled together as they rushed out the door to get ahead of Jesus, there's got to be more than five loaves of bread. So either the disciples do a half-hearted search, right? That's a big crowd to search through for food. Or, or maybe the people, when they catch wind of what's up, weren't quite forthcoming. Oh, that lump under our blanket. No, that's not food. That's clothing. You know? But Jesus is undeterred. It says, then Jesus instructed all of them to recline, party by party, on the green grass. And they reclined, group by group a hundred or fifty each. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And the two fish he portioned out to everyone. And all ate and ate their fill. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Those who had eaten the loaves numbered 5,000 men. This is how people were counted back then. So some thoughts about what just occurred. What we tend to pay attention to in this story, first of all, is the miracle itself, the spectacle of the miracle, right? Jesus has mastery over matter. He transforms the food. He multiplies it. He demonstrates his godness in doing this. We also pay attention to the symbolism of the story. The identity-forming moment for the people of Israel was when they um, flee Egypt. They are freed by God from Egypt <laughs> hurriedly. They don't have a lot of time to prepare, you know, to check out the Airbnbs out in the desert. And so they don't have a lot of food. So God miraculously feeds them from heaven, right, for a period of maybe a couple of years. And so the symbolism here, too, is Jesus feeding people who have come to him out in the wilderness while he teaches and instructs them. But it's, while that is 
meaningful, worth pondering, lot to learn and understand about Jesus. What I'm struck by for us this morning, carrying it forward to our space, to our gatherings, is first of all, the simplicity of the event. You know, so the people leave behind the familiar, they leave behind their towns and villages and come out, but it's not a dramatic journey. It's completely accessible. Right? They're able to get there by foot probably within a couple of hours, so they don't have to go too far. And then the event itself is, for the most part, a day. They spend a day out in the wilderness, away from the familiar, with friends, with others, pursuing God. So it's a very accessible, common type of event. When Jesus feeds the people... He is performing not uh, like a rescue from possible catastrophe. He's performing a kindness. And so then, too, the centrality of the meal comes into play. It's this lovely event. It's dramatic. It's miraculous. It's a spectacle. It's full of symbolism. But I think, too, here is Jesus with people who have come to him. He has taught them, so it's got content It has words, it has information, uh, it has inspiration for the people. But at the end of it all, what Jesus is going to do is share a meal with them. And I think this in part comes from Jesus being God in a body, right? So Jesus himself has experienced hunger. Jesus himself has experienced the delight of a good meal shared with friends. And so at the end of the day, that's what he's going to give the people gathered here. And that brings to life some of the description of the meal itself. It's as if God is the host of a banquet, and all the people gathered are God's honored guests. You hear these details in the description of the meal that are a little bit puzzling, unless you lean into what it would have felt like to be there. So there's the organization. The people are gathered into groups of 50 and 100. It seems to me that that's just a nod towards the social experience of sharing a meal. This is an organized event. Somebody's in charge. Somebody's taking care of you, paying attention to you, to how you're gathered. Everybody reclines. Reclining was a symbol of a sign of being a guest of honor at a meal, where a host was taking care of you. And on the green grass, right, these little details of loveliness. We have a meal, and this is a common experience of the stories in the Bible. Jesus talked a long time, and apparently the people liked what he said, but we don't have a word of what he said. Not one word of what he taught is recorded. What we have is an elaborate description of the loveliness of a meal hosted by, shared by, fed by God. Right? Now, it's still simple, It's not extravagant, we're not going, it's not inaccessible. We're not going to a Michelin three-star restaurant. God is serving fish and bread, right? What, the Iowa equivalent of corn and pork tenderloin, or something like that, or, you know, if you want to go vegan, something else. Right, but it's a simple, lovely meal. My wife and I, (laughs) our first... I think we would now call this our first date. We had traveled with a group of people, church people, to a church event on the East Coast uh, near Boston. But, you know, we were, without acknowledging it, interested in each other. So one day we dispensed with 
religion and conferencing and took a drive up the coast. And we found ourselves some hours later in Maine, and a little town in Maine, Kennebunkport, Maine, I still remember it. The sky was blue, the sun was shining. We found the pier that went out into the ocean. At the end of the pier was a lobster shack. And so we had this meal on a picnic table at the end of the pier. We talked, no recollection of what we talked about, but just that shared meal experience emblazoned in our minds forever. And so I hear Jesus and God through Jesus knowing us, knowing who we are, knowing what's meaningful, knowing how to come to us, knowing how to produce this kind of experience. You see meals being central to Jesus in so many ways. He turns the water into wine at the wedding festival. The meal, the way that he calls his interns to remember him is through a meal. When you break the bread, when you share the cup, do it in remembrance of me. And I hear Jesus not only saying, remember what this all was about, remember what my death and dying will have produced and the meaningfulness of it all, but he's also saying, don't forget to include me. Don't forget to include me in the meal, in the center of it. This is what I came for. This is what I want to participate in. This is what I want to produce. And so I think of it for you and I. Right? All the gatherings that we have, all the ways that we gather, we're the bagel church, right? We're not going to multiply food for you. Jesus himself only did it twice. But we are going to produce experiences here where we understand what it is to be embodied human beings who come together still with God at the center it feels like it's a model for all gatherings. Again, this was just a day, right? So when you and I come together, all the meetings, all the things that we invited you to come to, a habitat build, um, groups in people's homes, church on Sunday morning, it's all with this possibility in mind that we come together and we come together together. You know, COVID, virtualization, they push against gatherings, against being together like this. But I think it's in the togetherness, in the embodiedness, in sharing meals, in sharing experiences, and then bringing God into the center of it all, that we have this possibility of hearing from God, encountering God, being stirred by God, being built together as a community around these things. So that's the invitation that I feel from Jesus into this event, that I feel from him towards us. And as we turn now towards communion, you know this is another possibility. It has symbolism in it, but it is a way of Jesus being present with us, of Jesus wanting to be present with us as human beings, as a God who understands what it is like to be a human being. When we share communion, when we break the bread, when we dip it in the juice, I think Jesus can be with us. Jesus can speak to us. We can hear from Jesus, from God through Jesus. So let me pray. The band can come forward as we shift towards communion uh, and towards musical worship together. So Jesus, thank you that you understand us, that you know us, that you have things to say to us but that you also understand how to produce a human community 
the way that we gather together socially, the way that we feel and experience things, the way that our bodies are a part of just how we work, how we perceive you, how we come to you. I pray that in our gatherings, we would appreciate that. We would welcome that. We would sense you with us. We would hear you speak to us. Come and teach us. Come and fill us. Come and share a meal with us, Jesus.